want us to notice the final two verses in that chapter. Verses 57 and 58. Paul writes saying, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. As we read that passage and we come to verse number 58, it begins with the word therefore. Of course, that indicates the idea of so then or in light of what I've just said. Of course, previously what Paul had mentioned was how we ought to be thankful for the victory that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, the opportunity to have salvation. He then says, in consideration, in essence, of that thankfulness, what we ought to do. How should we demonstrate that thankfulness? What should our attitude be about that thankfulness and exactly what do we need to do to go about showing others that we are thankful? Because of our thankfulness, he tells us as we read this that we ought to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now that word steadfast and that word unmovable have similar meanings. Steadfast means to be firm and unyielding. Abounding means to be in excess, to be superfluous, to cause to superabound or excel over and above. And both those adjectives are described or used to describe our work in the Lord. How should we show our thankfulness? To superabound, to be unyielding in our work for the Lord. That's how Paul said we're to show our appreciation, wasn't he? That's pretty simple. That's pretty straightforward. We're to overflow in the work of the Lord because of the great love that He has demonstrated and shown toward us. With that idea in mind, I want us to ask the question tonight. How can I show my appreciation to God? What can I do to show my therefore? After Paul explaining to us that we ought to be thankful. How can I demonstrate that? How can I show my appreciation to God. Well, first of all, we're going to notice two things tonight. The first thing we're going to notice is for me to show my appreciation for God, I must first understand what God has done for me. I have to understand what He has done for me. What has God done? What has happened in my life? Well, first of all, I want us to, to understand that He has provided for us earthly benefits. He's given that to us. He created us. And He put us in a position to be able to flourish and to live and, and to enjoy. He sustains life, doesn't He? He gives us all that we need to have. We have an atmosphere, a beautiful planet on which to live. We have the opportunity to be able to provide for ourselves by growing food and enjoying the things that grow on this planet. And we use those for our benefits and use those so that we might live. Christ said, talking about the Father... Matthew 5, beginning with verse 44. He said, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. 
For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, he has made the statement, All who live on this planet, God has provided for our earthly benefit. He sustains our life. He'll sustain the life of a rank sinner in His general providence, won't He? He'll allow it to rain on them. He'll allow the sun to rise on them. He's given the beauty of nature to us and He's given it for our benefit. That's one thing we need to understand. We are to care for and to be good stewards of all that God has provided for us in this world. But an animal or a plant or a tree or anything like that does not take precedence over God's greatest creation, mankind, humanity. Notice what he said after creating all other things during the creation, Genesis 1.26. He said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. At what point did God ever give dominion to an animal? Or any life form lower than a person? He never did. He gave mankind dominion over the world. And we're to take care of it. But we still have dominion. We do not have to constantly worry about this world providing our needs because God has done that. He's given us all that we need to live physically in this world. He has provided these earthly benefits. That's one thing that He has done. Notice what Jesus said about those earthly benefits. Matthew 6, verse 33. He said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things begins in verse 24. The things that He's provided. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Don't worry about the clothes you're going to wear. Now, what we need to understand is these blessings are contingent upon our seeking heavenly things first. We have to place ourselves in a position to seek after heavenly things and God will provide those. Now, I believe specifically that this context is speaking of God's special providence for those who are faithful to Him, His people. But He still provides all of these things. If we do not put forth the required effort to provide for ourselves, God will not bless us with these gifts. Paul said this, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 So, it stands to reason as we look at the statement Christ made and we compare that to what Paul said, to seek heavenly things would include to work and to provide for ourselves. That's one part of seeking heavenly things. Another part of that is not only do we seek uh, heavenly things by providing for ourselves, we do that for our families, right? We provide for our families. It is the responsibility of the man, the head of the home, to provide for his family. That doesn't mean the wife can't work, and that's not what we're talking about. But he has a specific role, and that role is to provide for his family. Paul also said, 1 Timothy 5, 8, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. 
If an infidel or if someone is an infidel, they're obviously not seeking heavenly things. And so that's one aspect of seeking heavenly things, providing for ourselves. There's another earthly benefit of which Christ has blessed us, and that is fellowship among each other. And we, we talked a little bit about that this morning. That helps us in our mission of faithfulness, doesn't it? We have someone to, to rely upon and someone to help support us through difficult times, no matter what type of difficulty is. And you remember who, who Peter wrote to. He wrote to those of like precious faith, 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. He was writing to fellow Christians, to brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, those who had done the same thing he had done, those who had, had obeyed the same gospel he had obeyed. He went on to describe the importance of that fellowship in our battle with Satan and those who work for Satan or are those who carry out the things he wishes they would carry out. When we read in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, particularly verse 42, we see that great fellowship of the early Christians, don't we? They came together, many from hundreds and thousands of miles away. They uh, were observing the, the Passover feast on the day of Pentecost. And the church was established. Well, upon the church being established, things changed in their world, didn't it? No longer were they practicing the Jewish religion. They now were embracing this new religion, the one Christ brought into the world. And they were far, far from home. And, and there they were. And they wanted to be able to extend this message to other people. And they wanted to go house to house and, and teach others about it. But they simply didn't have the means of sustaining life while there because they had come for a very specific period of time and they planned on going back home. But we see that fellowship come together of those of like precious faith and they put their, their means together and they had all things in common and they helped each other through that time. Now that's not some kind of a communist state that, that the early church somehow was trying to impose on its members. That was a voluntary act. That was a voluntary act. But we see the great fellowship that existed among those people. We need that same support as we interact with one another and with those who are followers of God. That's, a, that's an earthly blessing that we have. Fellowship in this life. Just as Paul told those in Corinth, he said, 1 Corinthians 5, beginning verse 9, he said, I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators, Yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then you needs go out of the world. We can't get away from sinful people altogether, can we? Not possible. There are going to be people in the world that, as we go to the grocery store, and we go through the checkout line, they may be adulterers, or fornicators, or drunkards, or liars, or thieves, or drug addicts, or whatever the case may be. How are we going to get away from them? We, we don't even know who they are a lot of the time, right? So we're going to have to interact on some level with sinful people in this world. But when we have this great fellowship with one another, we can do that. We can sustain our Christianity and not be influenced by the world. That's why Paul said, and be ye not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans uh, 12 verse 2. We enjoy 
this fellowship also during physical hardships, don't we? Things happen in this life to our health, to our finances, to to a variety of things. And we need to rely on each other. We need to be able to do that. We're able to help each other in physical ways. Notice what Paul said, Galatians 6 verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity to do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. We're to help one another when the need arises and it is a legitimate need. Sometimes we simply need a helping hand to get up out of the position in life where we find ourselves. You know, sometimes things happen and we have no control over that. And what are we going to do? If we can't rely on our brethren, who can we rely upon? And we maintain that fellowship, don't we? How do we do that? John said as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and with each other. 1 John 1. Verses 7 through 9. And that's what we want. We want to maintain that fellowship. Not purely because it has some kind of earthly benefit to us, but that is one of the benefits, right? Maintaining our fellowship. But we can't have fellowship with each other until we first have fellowship with God. And then when we do that and we're walking in the light and we're having this wonderful fellowship, that puts us in a position to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's another benefit, isn't it? You know, a lot of the fruit of the Spirit manifestations are of a physical nature. I want us to notice what happened to the eunuch after he obeyed the gospel, Acts 8, verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. He had peace in this life, didn't he? He was in a position where he could now enjoy life in a way that he could not even have understood prior to obeying the gospel. In in many ways, that's a physical aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. How many of us can can have joy when we have no peace in this life? Well, we can have the joy of understanding once this life is over, we'll, we'll have eternity. But we're not enjoying joy in a physical way in this life, right? We're not waking up happy. We're not going on our way rejoicing. There are physical aspects to joy, right? And we find that when we obey the gospel. God has provided for us earthly benefits. We have to understand what He's done for us, right? How can I show my appreciation? I have to understand what He's done for us. He has demonstrated to us and provided for us earthly benefits. But He has also provided for us eternal benefits. We've been given the message of the cross, haven't we? That's how we gain the, the eternal benefits. And that's more important than the physical ones. When we look back over the, the people of the history of the Bible, we, we learn about them and there are a whole lot of people that we come across in our readings who did not have the things in this physical life that they would have liked to have had. One of the main ones that comes to mind for me is Lazarus of Luke 16. Lazarus didn't have the things of this life. He didn't enjoy wealth of, of any measure. He didn't even have the necessities of life. He didn't have the proper food or the proper clothing. His health was gone from him. But he did have eternal benefits, didn't he? And that's the kind of joy that we can, we can still have even if we do not have physical joy. 
We can look to the future and we can say, one day, one day when my life is over, or when the Lord returns, I can enjoy the eternal benefits and I can have that. We've been given the message of the cross. Part of that message is the suffering of the cross, isn't it? Let's think about that for a moment. How was the church established? Through the suffering of Christ. We could not be members of the Lord's church if He had not suffered. I think we need to look at that a little deeper. We need to understand that. In Matthew 16, as he was coming into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, I began to question the disciples, and people were talking about him, and he was asking who they said he was, and Peter made the great confession that we are so familiar with in verse 18. And, but, but he continues on, and he talks about how that would happen, how the establishment of the church would happen, that church that he said he would build, and it had to happen only if, He went into Jerusalem, he said, and his life was given for us. It was never taken, but he did lay it down. And he said he would be killed. Many things would happen. He would suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, verse 21. You remember, Peter didn't like that. He said, oh, that'll never happen. I'm not going to allow it to happen. But because of that suffering and the shedding of His blood, we can receive the forgiveness of sin. That's part of the message of suffering. And we remember when He established the Lord's Supper. You know how He described it. Verse 28, This is My blood which is shed for many for the remission of sin. That's so very important. But we've also been given the message of strength. See, we gain strength through Christ. We gain the ability to endure through what He has done. Notice what Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews rather, Hebrews 12 beginning with verse 1. He said, Wherefore seeing we, are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. All those people in chapter 11 that he had just mentioned. He said, Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us or ensnares us so easily. And let us... Run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Now let's think about that. What does that mean? For the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Well, the cross was in front of Him. Did He enjoy the cross? Is that the joy? No, not at all. That's not the joy. We talked about this morning His asking the Father, if there's any other way, can you please remove this cup? He said, not my will, but thine be done. So what's the joy? Our salvation. What was the result of the cross? What did that cross bring? The suffering, the message of suffering brought about the church? The message of strength brought about the church? That's the joy. He found joy in our salvation. How do we... How do we show our appreciation for God? We have to first understand the eternal benefits that He gave us. He said, despising the shame and set it down at the right hand of the the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. He's encouraging us through the strength of Christ. When we think about the joy or what He considered joy, 
that He would even endure the cross, boy, that ought to affect us. We see those faithful examples. We ought to look at those examples and say, if they can do it, I can do it. I think most importantly, the message of the cross is the message of salvation, isn't it? We have suffering, we have strength, but that leads to salvation. God wants us all to be saved. That's what Paul said. That's what he told Timothy. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, he wants all men to be saved. But we have to do it according to his plan, according to his commandments, according to what he has established. Why would we not want to? I don't understand that. We want to be saved. And when I say we, I mean the world in general. But the world wants to be saved according to how they want to be saved. That doesn't make sense, does it? We need to accept what God has offered us and show our appreciation by being obedient to Him. That only takes place in the church. Without the church, there can be no salvation. That's why Christ said, I will build my church, Matthew 16. That's why He shed His blood for the remission of sins that is contacted through the obedience of the gospel. That's the the final step into salvation, isn't it? Baptism, Mark 16, 16. We're baptized so we can be saved. We're baptized so we contact the blood of Jesus, Romans 6, 3 and 4. And it's that blood, remember, Matthew 26, that was shed for the washing away of our sins or for the remission of our sins. And that's what we need to do. We have to come in contact with that blood. And then, of course, we have to live faithfully, Matthew 10, 22. How can I show my appreciation to God? How can I demonstrate my therefore? Well, I have to first understand what God has done for me. And then I have to ask the question, what can I do for Him? That's our second point. What can I do for God? God doesn't need me to bring Him anything. God doesn't need me to support Him in some way. When we give our money on the first day of the week, we're not supporting God. God supports Himself, doesn't He? We're supporting His work. That's a demonstration of our love for Him. We don't have to carry God around as if He were some kind of an idol. That happens throughout the world. God doesn't need us for anything, but we need to do things for God. And so I need to ask myself, what can I do for God that is appropriate and in the way that He wants me to do it? Well, I have to begin with myself first. We have to begin with self, don't we? I need to examine myself. I need to strive to be better today than I was yesterday. Plan on being better tomorrow than I am today. I have to begin with self. Just as Paul instructed Timothy, let's notice this passage of about three verses, or five verses, I guess. 1 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 12. Paul instructed Timothy. He said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He said, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. He said, Do not neglect the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. That's the eldership. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. 
have to start with self. I think Brother Joe's prayer this evening is very appropriate. We do what we do so we can first save ourselves, right? And then we can help to save those around us. We have to continue in self-purity. Paul continued telling Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, he said, "Lay, Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Now this idea of lay hands or not laying hands suddenly on no man, that's not in a physical way. That's not in a, in a confrontational way. He's not talking about brawling or fighting. Now he talks about that. But lay hand, do not lay hands suddenly on any man. Do not accept any man quickly. Don't involve yourselves in their sins. Do not do what they're doing. You have to be careful, right? We have to watch and and make sure that things are going the way God would have us and we're to keep ourselves pure. We have to be pure in thought and in companionship. We have to be careful who who we allow to be in our inner circles. We have to be careful of the influence that is upon us. James 4, beginning with verse 4, he said, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be afraid of the world, or will be a friend of the world, is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not everyone can be an elder, can be a deacon, can be a preacher, can be a teacher. Not everyone can fulfill certain aspects of the roles that we find in church, in the, in the, in the church, but we can fill some aspect, but we can all remain pure, right? That's what God expects. We should never knowingly introduce sin into our lives. If we introduce sin into our lives, we better get rid of it. We better do whatever is necessary to stop that. John tells us that we'll sin from time to time. We mentioned this in class a while back. I've heard people mention the idea of of sinning daily. I don't read that in the Scripture anywhere. Sinning daily. Now some may sin daily, and and, and faithful people may sin daily, especially once they uh, obey the gospel at first, and and they haven't gotten to the point where, where they're trying to get to, and And we're always striving to get there. But I don't read where we'll sin daily. I read from time to time we'll sin, we'll slip up, we'll make mistakes. But if we're sinning daily and we've been a Christian for a period of time, something's wrong. Right? Something's wrong. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But I don't see where we wake up each morning and and we try to figure out how we're not going to sin today. Now, we may try to figure out how we're not going to sin today But I don't know that we need to just throw in the towel and say at some point I'm going to sin today. We need to examine ourselves. We need to remain pure. We need to make sure that I'm trying to do something for God because of what He did for me. I have to begin with self. And then I move on to studying the Word. That helps me to take care of myself. We have to be people of the book. If we're not people of the book, it's not going to work out well for us. We're not going to understand what we need to, to do. Second Timothy 2.15 We need to rightly handle the book or rightly divide, handle properly the Word of God. 
Psalm 119, verse 11, we need to hide the Word of God in our hearts so that we might not sin against Him. That's part of study. We need to do that. We don't want to be like those that the Hebrew writer was addressing. He said, for when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principle. Something's wrong if we've been Christians for several years or for a substantial period of time and we're having to be taught the first principles, right? We need to be teaching the first principles, Hebrews 5.12. We can't drink milk always. We have to be able to eat some meat. And then finally we have to be soul winners. We have to begin with ourself. We have to be a studier and we have to be soul winners. That's what God wants. What did Andrew do? You remember when he found the Christ? Immediately it says, immediately he went and found his brother, John 1.41. He was doing something in repayment. Not that we can ever pay God back, but we were sh- he was showing his demonstration of appreciation by going and finding his brother Peter. And he brought him to the Christ. What do you think would have happened if Andrew had not been a soul winner? Well, Christ's mission would have still been fulfilled. But can you imagine not being able to open the book of Acts, the letter to Theophilus, and reading that sermon that Peter spoke? Had Andrew not brought him to the Lord, someone would have preached the sermon. But can you imagine not having Peter as an example of someone who certainly was able to overcome deficits in his life? Acts 10 verse 24, Cornelius. He not only called his his kinsmen, but his near friends also. He wanted people to come and hear what he heard. He was a soul winner. We need to be visiting with our neighbors and our friends and, and those that that we know and those that we need to know better and inviting them to become Christians. Now, that's not always easy, but God never said it would be. That's how we show our appreciation to God. We do for others what was done for us. After coming to an understanding of what God has done for us, we're better equipped to understand what I can do for Him. Right? What we can do for God in the sense of what we ought to show as our appreciation. I start with self. I study the Word. I'm a soul winner. I do that again because someone did it for me. Now think back to the person who taught you the gospel. It might have been a parent or a friend or or whoever it may have been, but think about that individual. What kind of a debt do we owe that person who taught us individually the gospel? One greater than we could ever repay. The only debt we owe that's greater than that is the debt we owe to God. Someone led us to Christ. And for that we ought to be eternally thankful. We need to pass the church on to others as we received it. Let's think about that as we close. We must not change it. We must not pervert it. We must never add to it or take from it. And we must never divide it. That's not how we show appreciation to God. We need to demonstrate those things in our lives that says, I'm thankful for what God has done for me. We received it in triumph. Let's never pass it on stagnant or lukewarm. That's not a demonstration of appreciation, is it? Let's give it to the next generation better than what we found it. That's what we need to do. That's how we show appreciation to God. If you're here tonight and you're in need to answer this Lord's invitation, 
If you've fallen in some way in your life, you haven't been faithful as you you ought to have been, come back to Jesus tonight. Do that through repentance and confession and prayer. We'll pray with you and for you. God will forgive you of any sin in your lives as long as we repent. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.